the mystery history podcast i'm allison i'm rachel welcome to episode 112 on harold shipment another doctor death more more original the original doctor death probably maybe i don't know about i guess more recent than the last doctor death we did yeah, not, like not recent, older. Sorry, I'm backwards. Kind of like a Kevorkian. Um, yes and no. He did mostly murder older people, but not, it doesn't seem like it was like out of the kindness of his heart. <laughs> he was trying to get <laughs> some know. stuff. Mm. Uh, yeah and a lot of them were not like terminally ill or anything. They were just like older ladies live in their best older lady life oh and man he was like you know it would be cool if you were dead wow so yeah okay he's not not good not a good guy harold shipman okay nope. well bef- before we get into it we just have a few things note wise what do we want him to do like share and subscribe <laughs> that's right every time uh if you could leave us a five-star review give us a little comment send us a voice message we'll play it on the air it'd be great it would be really great so great we have patreon also uh we just hit what our 97th or something like that episode um Mm -hmm. so we have a two dollar tier and a five dollar tier if you want access to all of those plus a weekly episode every friday get all up in there plus do it Plus we give you some discount codes for merch. You know, we try to do something special here and there um, for our folks. We appreciate all of our Patreon edge. Very much. <laughs> Patreon edges. Patreon edges. Uh, we're still got the 80K download free sticker business going on. So if you would like a free sticker, just send us an email um or instagram or facebook message give us your address and we will send one out to you and then the last thing is waverly hills sanatorium will be here in real soon like two weeks yeah so if you are wanting to go go to eventbrite.com choose the six hour public investigation on the 27th and you can hunt some stuff with us I got the light up cat balls in the mail today. Yes. We've got equipment, y'all. So we're prepared. We've got some stuff. What else do we get? We got a EMF. What else do we get? It's a three pack. Three pack. Of things. I don't remember what they are, but they seemed like a really good idea. I think it was a digital recorder, an EMF detector, and a spirit box. I think yeah yeah that sounds right I think that is correct um I can actually look it up right now because I ordered it but yeah it's a EMF meter an EVP recorder and a spirit box seven Ooh, we don't know how to work those but we're gonna figure it out do you know what I don't like though is that I ordered it 
And now when I look at it, it says currently unavailable. Probably because we got the last one. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> That's the optimist optimism in me. Like, man, oh, beat him out. Oh, oh my anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fine. So, yes, if you would yes. like to join us, August 27th, Waverly Hills Sanatorium, six-hour public investigation, witch girls at Mystery History Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing it. So do you have anything else to add for business? No. No? Oh, and if you have any, we're getting ready to do our um, schedule for August and September. So if you have any things that you would like to hear about, let us know. And we will add that to the list of things. Yes. Yes. We always appreciate those and try to give them precedence over other episode ideas. We want to give you what you want. That's right. All right. Well, do you want to go ahead and start us off on Harold Shipman? I do. But before I would also, before we get started too, I would like to say this was actually a user, our listener requested topic also. And I don't know the person's name because their name on Instagram is Fairy Sawdust. Oh, it's our fairy godfather. It is our fairy godfather. Oh, Peter. His name is Peter. (laughs) Peter. (laughs) Yes. Your fairy godfather. Thank you very much. Yeah, I was going to say, that's what we always, like, when we talk about you, we we call you our fairy godfather. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) I don't know what his name is in real life, (laughs) but it's Peter. (laughs) So Peter suggested this um, episode topic. So this is for Peter. Thanks much. All right. So now I'll go ahead and get us started. Harold Shipman, he was born the middle child into a working class family on January 14th, 1946. Harold Frederick Shipman is his full name, and he was known as Fred, and he was born in Nottingham, England. His father was a truck driver. He was the favorite child of his domineering mother, Vera, and she instilled in him and all of his other siblings uh, an early sense of superiority that tainted most of his later relationships, leaving him isolated um, with very few friends. He did play rugby and he was really skilled at rugby. So that helped him make some social acquaintances. And he was also pretty academically inclined. And I always thought this was kind of, not always, but when I was reading this and when I've, I've watched a couple documentaries, I thought it was kind of interesting. They weren't, you know, a well-off family. They were working class, but his mom basically was like, we are better than Mm -hmm. everybody else. So act accordingly. Oh, wow. Basically. So for no reason, just. Right. Just you are born into a superior right, yes. situation. Right. So I don't know. I mean, you see that with, I guess, like having a superiority complex, but not, not quite as often with the working class family to the point where he was so isolated as a child. Because he thought he was so much better than all of these people. Mm-hmm. And she was just really strict. Like they had to behave a certain way, you know, mm-hmm. very tight. 
When his mother was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer, he willingly oversaw her care as she declined, fascinated by the positive effect that the administration of morphine had on her suffering until she succumbed to the disease on July 21st, 1963. He was devastated by her death and he was determined to go to medical school. He was admitted to Leeds University Medical School for training two years later, having failed his entrance exams first time before serving his hospital internship. So, I mean, yeah, positive effects, morphine does the trick. It does. Takes all the pain away. She actually passed away on June 21st, 1963. What did I say? July. (laughs) Just what is making wrong it up. with me? Just making up, making stuff up over here. I am. I'm <laughs> but sorry. Yeah. No, you're fine. And he was, so he was 17 at the time that this was going on when his mother passed. In his first year at medical school, Shipman met a girl on the bus and began a romantic relationship with her. Her name was Primrose Oxtoby, a local farmer's daughter. Their first date was at a local coffee shop. Now, Primrose was also a bit of a social outcast and kind of naive. She just grew up sheltered. She was raised in a strict religious family. Very shortly, she became pregnant. So within months of the meeting, she was pregnant. So, of course, that did not go over well. Um, Especially during that time. Right. In keeping with the attitudes of the time and and to super religious family, um, there was a lot of pressure from her parents. So the pair married really quickly. And Primrose was five months pregnant. At the time that they were married, they got married at the local registry office. Nobody in attendance, no friends, just uh, go in, do the business, leave. Shipman found himself a married man and a father to be while still a freshman in college. Her family was upset. Her father didn't like him. So it was just a tough, it was a tough spot. Wow. I gotta say, Primrose, what a pretty name. Isn't it gorgeous? They don't I do, do that nowadays. Like oh, I really pretty like names. That name too. Little <laughs> cute flower names. I yeah. always like flower names. By 1974, he was a father of two. And I guess he didn't learn the first time, right? Like what you're supposed to do to prevent that. Well, I think they were trying by this. Well, maybe not try trying, but they were okay (laughs) by this point. (laughs) Yeah. And he had joined a medical practice in, oh, I'm going to mess it up. Todd Morden, Yorkshire, where he initially thrived as a family practitioner before allegedly becoming addicted to the painkiller pathiodine. He forged prescriptions for large amounts of the drug, and he was forced to leave the practice when caught by his medical colleagues in 1975, at which time he entered a drug rehab program. In the subsequent inquiry, he received a small fine and a conviction for forgery. And And I feel like that that happened in that Dope Sick show. You watch that show about um, Oxycontin? It's crazy how these drugs are so addictive and can get people that you wouldn't otherwise think on hooked. But I don't know if that's the case with this, but it just, yeah, you know, that's a good one. On to, uh, is that a real, I thought that was a documentary. Is it? No, not? it's, it's, it's a, it's based on true events, but it's got Michael Keaton in it. Who's my oh. favorite person. Hmm. It's really good. 
it's like to give that a little watch yeah I think it's like 10 or 12 episodes really good yeah I mean I think it's kind of amazing for a really long time he was able to forge these prescriptions not a really long time it was like actually a pretty short time but he was able to forge a lot of prescriptions without anybody noticing and the way he got caught was kind of weird I feel like if I remember correctly it was just a like a you know receptionist kind of person was looking over the books and was like this is weird like uh-huh. that doesn't make sense <laughs> yeah so he ended up getting caught and all he got was a small fine and in trouble for forgery but it was not not he didn't. much yeah, he didn't lose his license or anything no. like that. Mm-mm. A few years later, he was accepted onto the staff at Donnybrook Medical Center in Hyde, where he ingratiated himself as a hardworking doctor who enjoyed the trust of patients and colleagues, although he had a reputation for arrogance amongst junior staff. So he was Thanks kind of an mom. a-hole. Yeah. He was just rude to people. <laughs> yeah. He remained on staff there for almost two decades. That's a good run. Yeah, it was a very long time. And his behavior incurred only minor interest from other healthcare professionals. So basically him just being a jerk to everybody, people like noted it, but nothing really came of it. During the time that he was working there, he had two more children. So So four kids. Wow. The local under noticed that Dr. Shipman's patients seemed to be dying at an unusually high rate and exhibited similar poses in death. That's odd. Mm-hmm. Um, most were fully clothed and usually sitting up or reclining on a settee. I don't know what that is. <laughs> like a settee. Settee or something. It's like the like half couch kind of situation. Like a chase lounge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He was concerned enough to approach Shipman about this directly, who reassured him that there was nothing to be concerned about. Later, another medical colleague, Dr. Susan Booth, also found that the similarity was disturbing, and the local coroner's office was alerted, who then contacted the police. That's weird. Yeah. Like, if it's enough people for the freaking undertaker to notice when he sees dead people all day long every day, like, that's that is not a good sign no (laughs) a covert investigation followed but shipman was cleared as it appeared that his records were in order the inquiry failed to contact the general medical council or check criminal records which would have yielded evidence of shipman's previous record of forging Mm -hmm. for these the stuff Later, a more thorough investigation revealed that Shipman altered the medical records of his patients to corroborate their cause of death. Hiding behind his status as a caring family doctor, it's almost impossible to establish exactly when he started killing his patients or how many people died, and his denial of all charges really didn't do anything in helping that come to light. Wow. So at this point, he's not caught. They, they looked at his stuff. They're like, this checks. Good day to mm-hmm. you, sir. Sorry for the inconvenience. <laughs> wow. Okay. So Kathleen Grundy was an active, wealthy 81-year-old widow, and she was found dead in her home on June 24th, 1998, following an earlier visit by Shipman. Grundy was the former mayor of Hyde and a wealthy woman. Angela Woodruff, Kathleen's daughter, was advised by Shipman that an autopsy was not required. 
and Grundy was buried in accordance with her daughter's wishes. Woodruff was a lawyer and had also handled her mother's affairs, so it was with some surprise that she discovered that another will existed, leaving the bulk of her mother's estate to Dr. Shipman. Shady. What a shocker. (laughs) Woodruff was convinced the document was a forgery and that Shipman had murdered her mother, forging the will to benefit from her death, which sounds pretty plausible. Mm -hmm. She alerted the local police where Detective Superintendent Bernard Postles quickly came to the same conclusion upon examination of the evidence. So he done fucked up. In 1998. When he's been doing this forever. After he's been doing, right. Grundy's body was exhumed, which was awful. Like in the documentary I watched, it was in the cemetery and it was in the middle of the city and all these people are watching out their windows while they're exhuming this body. I mean, it looked like it was, it would have been very traumatic as her daughter to have to endure that. So she was exhumed and a postmortem revealed that she had died of a morphine overdose administered within three hours of her death, precisely within the time frame of Shipman's visit to her. Hmm. Diamorphine is often used for pain control in terminal cancer patients. Shipman claimed that Grundy had been an addict and showed them comments he had written to that effect in his computerized medical journal. Hmm. So he was like, this 81-year-old wealthy former mayor of the town with all this respect on her name, she was addicted to morphine and obviously overdosed herself. is what this doctor is saying however examination of his computer showed that those notes that he pointed to were written after her death what a dummy right (laughs) he didn't realize that it was time time stamping his notes like oh what a dummy this is the problem with getting old too you just like don't know what your stuff does Mm -hmm. anymore like if you would have handwritten this yeah, would have been fine. Right. But, but he probably thought it was more compelling being in a computer, but he didn't realize that the timestamp happened. I'm sure he was required to keep all of his records in a computer at that point. But yeah, like, oh, oh. <laughs> Shipman's home was then raided, yielding me- medical records, an odd collection of jewelry, and an old typewriter, which proved to be the instrument upon which Grundy grundy's will had been forged Mm. per the guardian shipman's attempt at forging the will was described by detectives as so cack handed that it was inevitable he would be caught so he's so stupid they can't believe he's been doing it well this they don't know at this this point yeah yeah. and with that will that he forged i don't think i put in here but like one of the reasons they knew it was done with that typewriter is that one of the letters doesn't press out the way that it's supposed to so they could see that it was definitely that that typewriter that did it wow (laughs) caught by a letter you hate to see it all right It was immediately apparent to the police from the medical records seized that the case would extend further than the single death in question and priority was given to those deaths. It would be most productive to investigate, namely victims who had not been cremated and who had died following a home visit by Shipman, which was given priority. Shipman had urged families to cremate, man, what a dick, to cremate their relatives and a large number of 
cases, stressing that no further investigation of their death was necessary, even in instances where these relatives had died of causes previously unknown to the families. In situations where they did raise question, Shipman would provide computerized medical notes that corroborated his cause of death pronouncements. Wow. Yeah. And if you were a member of that family, like after the fact, and you did cremate your loved one, ouch, you would never know for sure. You know, you could assume, right? You would never know for sure. And like you trusted this guy. He's a family doctor. And it, like the towns, they're not like huge towns. Like right. everybody knows this guy. In fact, I'm pretty sure. And again, I don't know if this is later in the notes after he did actually get busted, people were pissed that he was even being accused of this because he was their family doctor and mm-hmm. he always treated them well and done right by them. Wow. And yeah, they just didn't believe it. Police later established that Shipman would, in most cases, alter these medical notes directly after killing the patient to ensure that his account matched the historical records. What Shipman had failed to grasp was that each alteration of the records would be timestamped by the computer, enabling police to ascertain exactly which records had been altered. So they have this like perfect layout of knowing exactly who he murdered, basically, because he would always go back and alter their records after wow. they passed. Following extensive investigations, which included numerous exhumations and autopsies, which again, I don't know why, like... I have heard forever, like somebody's body was exhumed, like whatever. It always felt like not that big of a deal, but for some reason, the stock, like one of the documentaries I watched about him and they were talking about exhuming people's bodies. And it was just so hard on these people's families years later to like re go through the grieving process of losing their mother or whoever the person was sister or whatever, because they had to exhume and do these autopsies on them. And I'm just like, that is so terrible. Well, not even just that piece, which would be very traumatic, but then that your loved one was probably murdered by this guy that your family trusted. Mm -hmm. Like that is the biggest betrayal. And like almost always in these instances, the people that passed were like old enough that it could just be like an older age or a bad health thing like not you know some of them I think were in their like 50s you know younger yeah but you know going from thinking that your mom or whoever passed away from a natural cause and then coming to this realization like they could have had years with you still it's just awful the police charged admin uh shipman excuse me With 15 individual counts of murder on September 7th, 1998, as well as the one count of forgery. The police investigated other deaths Shipman had certified, and they discovered a pattern of him administering lethal doses of diamorphine, signing patients' death certificates, and then falsifying medical records to indicate that they had been in poor health, even though they had not necessarily been. Mm Mm-hmm. In 2003, David Spiegelhalter suggested that statistical monitoring could have led to an alarm being raised at the end of 1996, which seems still very late, right? But when they 
um, when there were 67 excess deaths in females aged over 65 years. So looking at his past, there were 65 deaths. If they would have had this statistical monitoring and raised it there, because by 1998, there was 119. Wow. So he really like went all in In those those last two years. Yeah. And it could have, there should have been a red flag sooner than that. Yeah. Shipman's trial commenced in Preston Crown Court on October 5th, 1999. Attempts by his defense counsel to have Shipman tried in three separate phases, like cases with physical evidence, cases without, and the Grundy case where the forgery was different from the other cases, as well as to have damning evidence relating to Shipman's fraudulent accumulation of morphine and other drugs were thrown out, and the trial proceeded on the 16 charges included in the indictment. The prosecution asserted that Shipman had killed the 15 patients because he enjoyed exercising control over life and death and dismissed any claims that he had been acting compassionately as none of the victims were suffering a terminal illness. As we mentioned, the trial of Harold Shipman began in October 1999 and concluded in January 2000, when, according to The Guardian, the jury of seven men and five women took 33 hours and 55 minutes to unanimously find the doctor guilty of 15 counts of murder and the forging of Kathleen Grundy's Grundy's will. The judge passed 15 life sentences. Wow as well as a four-year sentence for forgery, which he commuted to a whole-life sentence, effectively removing any possibility of parole. Shipman was incarcerated at Durham Prison. So, ha. Yeah. Not so cool now, is he? And, like, yeah, this is nice that there's actually justice here. Yeah, we don't always see that. (laughs) Right. 15 life sentences, no um, possibility of parole. It's a good thing. Biography claims Shipman cut a haughty figure in court and attempted to cover the truth of his crimes with a series of outrageous falsehoods. Denial upon falsehood upon deceit, wrote the disgusted Guardian reporter Helen Carter, who was in court. He told relatives that he had called ambulances, but further checks of phone records showed this to be false. Oh, man. Shipman altered his patient's medical records, so it would appear that the women had chronic health problems to support the false cause of death he printed on death certificates. Carter also notes that Shipman's denials that he had been purposely stockpiling diamorphine came to to not when a huge stash of the killer drug was discovered after a police raid at his home. Hmm. So he tried to say he wasn't stockpiling it, but he was. I guess one of the things he would do with that is when he would murder somebody they would have had morphine um already at their house because it would be prescribed Uh and he would take that like nobody was watching that so he would take it before their house got whatever and he would just keep that for later right and was like stockpiling it up that way Though charged with just 15 murders, a clinical audit conducted by Professor Richard Baker of the University of Leicester examined the number and pattern of deaths in Shipman's practice and compared them with those of other practitioners. It found that rates of death amongst his elderly patients were significantly higher, 
clustered at certain times of day and that Shipman was in attendance in a disproportionately high number of those cases. The audit goes on to estimate that he may have been responsible for the deaths of at least 236 patients over a 24-year period. Oh, my God. And if That is so many people. <laughs> and if your parent or loved one, like, ever had his care and they passed, like, how would you get justice for that? Like, you, that would be, ugh, that just sucks. It's awful. And it took him that long to figure it out. Right. Because he murdered the wrong person. Or else who knows? He's just you know what I mean? her money, too. Right. It was a greed thing. He may mm-hmm. have, yeah, he may have never been caught if it hadn't been for that. Separately, an inquiry commission chaired by High Court Judge Dame Janet Smith examined the records of 500 patients who died while in Shipman's care, and the 2,000-page report concluded that it was likely that he had murdered at least 218 of his patients, although this number was offered by Dame Janet as an estimation rather than a precise calculation, as certain cases presented insufficient evidence to allow for certainty. The commission further speculated that Shipman might have been addicted to killing and was critical of police investigation procedures, claiming that the lack of experience of the investigating officers resulted in missed opportunities to bring Shipman to justice earlier. And that is weird because, I mean, like, just like it said before, how many times is a doctor actually present whenever you pass away? You know, like, not that often. Not very often. No. And it kills me that he said that he called the ambulance for things and he didn't. Like, yeah, they thought though in the he probably said that to the person who is dying, right? And there was nobody coming, no, mm. except for the coroner. He may, in fact, have taken his first victim within months of obtaining his license to practice medicine. 67-year-old Margaret Thompson, who died in March 1971 while recovering from a stroke, but deaths prior to 1975 were never officially proven because they're old as hell and people are gone. Whatever the exact number, the sheer scale of his murderous activities meant that Shipman was catapulted from British patient killer to the most prolific known serial killer in the world. He remained at Durham Prison throughout these investigations, maintaining his innocence, and was staunchly defended by his wife Primrose and family. He was... (laughs) what (laughs) that'd be i mean i that would be really hard to accept that your loved one killed 218 people yeah it seems like they're i mean they're kind of an odd couple right they're just odd humans yeah period but yeah she didn't I, i don't know what their conversations were like intimately but i know from i don't again maybe it says in the notes, maybe not. She wrote letters to him and they were always just like love letters, like sweet little letters. And towards the end, one time she said, like asked if he did it. Oh, really? Yeah. So I think she started to think like, maybe this was possible. Yeah. Which at this point, I mean, if somebody gets convicted like that, do you, I don't know. I mean, I would assume I would be like, oh, they're definitely guilty. 
then well, if they have enough evidence to put them away like that. Well, in the greed part of the will, had he done that before, like if he would be coming into large sums of money, how would you explain that? Like they loved me so much as their doctor. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. I don't, and I think, don't so. think he, I don't think he was doing that. And money was a problem for them. Like always. So even he though wasn't... he was a doctor, they were always like hard up for cash. Like, yeah. I don't think they had a good nest egg situation or anything. So hmm. I don't know. It's weird. He was moved to Wakefield prison in June, 2003, which made visits from his family easier. Cause it was closer. Hmm. Harold Shipman was found at 6.20 a.m. on January 13, 2004, having hanged himself in his cell at Wakefield Prison, West Yorkshire. It was the eve of his 58th birthday. While some British tabloids celebrated the death of one of the country's most deadly mass murderers, the sun ran with the headline, Ship, Ship, Hooray. Most... Most commentators and the families of the victims expressed anger that he had been able to evade serving his sentence by taking his own life. Following Shipman's suicide, a fellow inmate at Wakefield, David Smith, gave testimony that he had overheard a prison officer telling the killer to go hang himself. And if he didn't know how, he'd be shown. Ooh, poor the uh, independent. Yet this wasn't the most shocking detail of Shipman's suicide. The doctor was still capable of delivering one final outrage. In a separate report, the independent forwards the theory that he timed his suicide so his wife could cash in a $100,000 pension payout. What? It was was pounds. (laughs) According to secret prison records, the records demonstrate that Shipman had been given or had been having suicidal thoughts for some time and that his main preoccupation was securing his pension for his wife. It was revealed that by dying before the age of 60, the doctor's wife would be eligible to receive a lump sum of the hundred thousand pounds followed by 10,000 pounds a year after if Shipman had lived primrose would have only received a fraction of that amount. So he had to die before he was 60 for her to get the 100,000 pounds and 10,000 a year after. Yeah. Huh. Oh, what a, what a sweetheart. Right. Thinking of his little wifey. Ugh. Yeah. That's ridiculous. He shouldn't even have a pension. No, you shouldn't get to have a pension if you're a murderer for murdering people. Yeah. That should yes. be gone into the victim's funds or something like that. Something. Right. For all of the freaking funeral costs. There wow. You go. That's ang- angering me. I'm right. angry. There should be no money for you or your family. No. I mean, it's not necessarily her fault, but whatever. You should not get that kind of money <laughs> for something no. like this. So rough, rough. And can you imagine just the shock No, of finding out like your town practitioner is a crazy serial murderer? Well, and I'm sure a lot because it wasn't a huge town. A lot of them probably went to him. Right. Oh, ew. Yep. He's Aki. Yeah. Not a good dude at all. Nope. And I had never heard of him before now, so... 
Thank you, Fairy Godfather, for your suggestion. <laughs> you want to cite your sources? I do. I used Wikipedia, biography.com, grunge.com, and thesun.co.uk. Wow. I've always, I've always heard of Harold Shipman, but I didn't know the full story. So this was very interesting and I can't, I'm shocked. Like I'm mad and I'm shocked because 218 people, that's so many freaking people. And then his wife gets to live happy with a pension Mm -hmm. because he offed himself like a coward. Yeah. He didn't serve out his sentence. I mean, he was only in there for a handful of years. Mm. Wonder what she's doing. I don't know right now. We could write her a letter. <laughs> See, this is bullshit. <laughs> you did not deserve that money, lady. Right. You better be uh. donating it. <laughs> all right. Well, we hope you all enjoyed episode 112 on Harold Shipman. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>